We're going to continue on in our Exodus series. We're in chapter 20 today. And uh, before we start, I want to just say a quick prayer, uh, then uh, introduce a little bit of what we're going to talk about. Uh, God, thank you for this moment that we have, and as we get to the study of your word, as we have so many times before, uh, as we have done, we just ask continually that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we are engaging in a tremendously sacred and holy exercise, which is to hear from you. So I pray that our hearts and our ears would be open to hearing what you would have to speak to us corporately and individually, and I pray in your name. Amen. We are entering into what are known as the Ten Commandments. This is where we're going to get to them. And I wanted to play this program for you. It was given back in 2007, so I'm just going to commend it to you for your interest. If you are interested, unfortunately, you can't get it for free now, unless you bootleg it somewhere on YouTube, I don't know. Uh, But This American Life did an entire program around the Ten Commandments, and uh, it's a really fun This American Life style program where they take different stories and try to figure out how those stories work with some of these concepts and these principles. And so I just wanted to commend that to you uh, and share that with you as part of the ongoing conversation for how we think about these texts. Go and listen to the program, and it's it's a lot of fun and really intriguing and a a great conversation starter. Several things have happened over the past, uh, this past week and over the past uh, little bit of my life that I thought I would share with you in regards to the Ten Commandments. This week, our trailer, Spark Trailer, got broken into. At the, on, I think it was on Tuesday morning or maybe Wednesday morning, I woke up. And you know how you have that moment where you're still in a dream state, but yet you hear things? And the alarm that's on the, on the trailer that we have out there that, you know, hauls all of this stuff was going off, and I was hearing it in, in my dream state. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, I got up, and I, I was like, that's the trailer alarm. So I go out to the front yard, and there the trailer is wide open. Fortunately, nothing was stolen. And I look on the ground, and you can see that little piece there that had fallen on the ground. Somebody had taken bolt cutters and uh, cut it. And uh, we have this little alarm that goes off, so when the door is open, you know, we're presuming that's uh, exactly what happened. Um, And and again, nothing was stolen, so all is well. um, And we're deeply thankful for the entire team, specifically uh, Josh Boucher, who got us a little alarm that was there. So Danielle said, you need to thank Josh specifically because he saved us, because that alarm went off. So... Uh, anyway, it's got a new latch on it, and I think, okay, I'll give Josh a big round of applause. So make sure you, you alarm everything. But anyway, I was getting ready for this message, and then this pops up in my head. <laughs> the Ten Commandments. As many of you know, I work at a school, and that school has instituted a new program, which has never been done before last year, which is called a common book. A common book is a book in which the entire community reads together, and you use that as the foundation for the theme or the foundation for some conversations. And this year, we chose a book by this guy, Tulian Chavidjan, entitled Do I Know God? And it was going to be this beautiful, wonderful foundational book, Ask Wonderful Questions. And for those of you who don't know, he's also the grandson of Billy Graham, And uh, we were moving forward quite along, and while I was in Israel, I got an email regarding his church and a public letter that he had written regarding some inappropriate moral behavior that he was a part of, and apparently, as you can imagine, there was a much longer story to it, but they released a letter to the church, and we get wind of this, because we had now selected this book, 
and the school that I'm at has now the challenge to wrestle with what do we do now that we have publicized and gone forward with sponsoring, encouraging people to buy this book, you know, all of those questions that come up. And this is, again, the thing that comes to my mind. Floating around on the internet, this is going to be perhaps the most controversial thing that I say today, is a story regarding some sort of expose that was done with Planned Parenthood. So many of you have probably heard about this. Uh, It has to do with some indiscretionary actions by Planned Parenthood. Of course, for those of you who don't know from a culture standpoint, Planned Parenthood uh, is a very high-priced target uh, for particular organizations, specifically for the work that they do in abortions and and all of that stuff. And one one of these organizations went undercover to pose as medical personnel to then try to get information of which they can splice together into a video and share with people, see, this is really what's going on with Planned Parenthood. Now, uh, I don't want to get into the controversial topic about uh, the social implications of Planned Parenthood or the issue of abortion. The thing that was fascinating to me was the discussion that was being had online regarding how these people, how this organization went forward to actually attain the information that they did and the kind of messaging that they were putting forward, the kind of titles that they were putting on the articles, the what they were actually saying and how they were uh, sharing their message. And some of the conversation from Christians and non-Christians, mind you, because I was reading some articles on Christianity Today as well. Christians and non-Christians were commenting, obviously, that there's some things about practice that should probably be attended to. And, and we, again, we can have that conversation later. But one of the things that they were saying is that the video that was released that people are very upset about, that people have gotten really excited about how horrible and horrific was actually extremely edited. So I went to the original transcript and I watched the original video, all two hours of it, and read the entire transcript, all 60 pages of it, and started to realize that maybe there's some merit in that the people who put this together clipped, edited, spliced, and put things together and presented it in such a way as to get their message and their agenda across. And then this comes to mind. Several years ago, um, and this is going to happen on a regular basis, now let's move to something with a little bit more levity, I needed a new phone or I needed to upgrade my plan. And I went to the AT&T store, and I... I will tell you, I'm just a cheapskate. I want to pay for the cheapest thing. I don't want to, I'm, I'm tired of giving utilities all my money because they take thousands of dollars and like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and then they, you know, fool me with their advertising with the guy sitting on a hammock, you know, who's got AT&T service and he does something on his phone, puts it down. And he says, see, if you had our service, you would have such a life of leisure. And it's like, liar, you are such a liar. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm in the store, and I'm renewing the contract, and they had changed over their plan so that, uh, and you guys all know this, that all the, the utility companies are changing stuff over, and uh, I asked the lady, why is this plan this way? Because I used to have this one, and now I'm essentially being forced to give that up in order to get this new plan, and the new plan is essentially rolled into its plan as best as I understood it, the idea that you can replace your phone every two years. And I said, well, why would I want to do that? And she looks at me dumbfounded and says, well, of course you're going to want the iPhone phone 7, aren't you? Of course. That's just standard practice. (laughs) All around us, and I'm sure we could come up with many, many other examples, 
there are these behaviors, activities, attitudes, and things that come into violation with what we have called the Ten Commandments. And I thought about some of these things, and I thought how important it is for us to tend to that. However, the problem with that is the message that I shared last week. The message I shared last week was a little bit about, let's not look at the Ten Commandments merely as a list of moral codes. Let's not look at the Ten Commandments purely as a list of right and wrongs that you are supposed to adhere to. And if we had never had the Ten Commandments, then we would never know what was right or what was wrong. And what I was suggesting last week is we need to really move away from that kind of thinking for a variety of reasons, and that message is now online. You can listen to that if you'd like. And so we're going to move into the next chapter, chapter 20, which actually has now this list of things. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. And what I'd like to do is really drive home the point even further. Chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these things, saying, I am Yahweh, the Lord, your God, that brought you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery, from the house of bondage. There shall be or there will be no other gods before me, no making for yourself a graven image, and any or all manner of likeness that are in the heavens above and that are in the waters below the earth. No bowing down to them, no serving, worship, no serving or worshiping them, because I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, the guilt, the sin, the crime, the immorality, the gross unfair behavior, visiting all of that of the fathers over the sons to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, and fashioned and here's that beautiful Hebrew word, chesed, loving kindness, to the thousandth generation, to those who love me and guard and keep my commandments. By the way, this is the first time in this entire uh, chapter in the, the system, in, in the passage, where the word commandments is actually mentioned, the mitzvot. No taking or carrying the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, don't carry it as worthless because the Lord will not hold guiltless the one who takes or carries his name in vain as worthless. Remember the Sabbath day to sanctify it. Six days you are to serve and worship, and you will do all of your work. And the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. No doing any of your work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is in your gates. Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. And the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that your days may be long in the ground that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no testifying falsely against your neighbor, no coveting the house of your neighbor, no coveting the wife of your neighbor, nor his servant, nor his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. And all the people seeing the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the shofar and the smoking mountain, the people saw and trembled, and they stood at a distance. Last week, I shared with you that these are really not the Ten Commandments. The phraseology that's actually used later on in Exodus chapter 34 is the phrase, these are the sayings, or the ten words, the ten divine utterances is how some people might translate that. We talked last week about how this is not a moral code. We talked about how this is not conditions for a relationship because these things come after God had freed them from Egypt. 
So freedom, liberation, grace, love, God's loving kindness is extended to us before the commandments, before these sayings are given. And the reason why I hit so hard on that last week and why it is listed uh, in our common cultural conscience as a moral code is because of examples like this. You co-sponsored a bill requiring the display of the Ten Commandments in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Mm -hmm. Why was that important to you? Well, the Ten Commandments is, is not a bad thing mm -hmm. uh, for people to understand and to respect. I'm with you. Where better place could you have something like that than in a judicial building mm -hmm. or in a courthouse? That is a good question. Can you think of any better building to put the Ten Commandments in than in a public building? No. I think if we were totally without them, we may lose a sense of our direction. What are the Ten Commandments? What are all of them? <laughs> you want me to name them yeah, all? please. Um, I don't know you. Don't lie. Mm -hmm. Don't steal. Uh, I can't name one. Congressman, thank you for taking time away from keeping the Sabbath day holy. Congressman, thank you for taking time away from keeping the Sabbath to have this interview with me. Now, what's imbued in that interview is what the congressman mentioned, if we don't have this, we may lose our way. And that underlying that implication is that if we don't have these things, then somehow the moral corruptness of our culture is going to take hold. So this is a little bit of where this comes from. Uh, and, but again, last week I mentioned that what is ultimately going on is not an establishment of right and wrong behavior, although that it involves those things. What is ultimately being established, as per chapter 19, is that God is trying to create within this world and through his people the identity of them as a great treasure. The identity within them as a kingdom of priests, people who stand between heaven and earth to represent to the Lord the people. And he's ultimately trying to create a holy nation, a nation that is different from other nations. This is ultimately the goal. It's about identity. It's about covenant. It's about relationship. And it's about affirming and confirming that brilliant, beautiful, intimate relationship, not just a list of moral codes. And this is also complicated by the idea of if you're going to say that this is 10 commandments, which 10 are they? Which is going to be one of those questions. Now, the number 10 has um, some significance. There's a reason why we have codified this as Ten Commandments. Number one, it's mentioned in Exodus chapter 34. But the other reason why ten has come into the conscience is because uh, anthropologists have studied numbers and where do these significance uh, come from. And a lot of people have suggested that the number ten actually comes from our biology, that we have a left hand and a right hand with five digits each. So ten has this representation of, of being fully encompassing of who we are. Um, and then you see these tens actually throughout some other passages in the Bible. God speaks in Genesis ten times. He, sa he speaks and he says something. There are the ten plagues, and of course, in Exodus chapter 34, there are the ten sayings. So ten is a significant number in that sense. Ten is representative of our whole 
being. And so when we identify all of these lists in a grouping of 10, it is in some ways representing a fullness of who we are. So there's something very beautiful in that. But there's also a problem in trying to figure out which 10 are you going to decide on. I went through and I listed out, at least numerically as best as I could, the number of times that there was some sort of directive, some sort of utterance, some sort of don't do this, remember this, follow this. If you take a look and enumerate them, you start to come up with a little bit more than just the 10. It is also additionally complicated, and some of us are completely unaware of this, that the actual listing and enumeration is different. If you take a look at Jewish traditional listings versus Catholic traditional listings versus Protestant traditional listings, you actually see that there's a different enumeration. What is commandment number one? In the Jewish tradition, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt is the first utterance, which isn't a command at all. And in the Anglican Reformed and other Christian circles, the I am the Lord your God is just merely a preface because what we're really getting to is don't do this. Don't have any other gods before me. It's all about a command or a dictate. So all of these things complicate the idea. Again, I, I know I'm driving this home uh, really hard, but it's so ingrained in our culture. Driving home the idea that this is not just a list of moral commands of dictates. I want to reiterate that this is ultimately based upon a huge and brilliant story that God is telling throughout Genesis and now through Exodus. And what I would love for you to remember, every time you think about the Ten Commandments, or even any commandment that comes within the context of Scripture, there are two things that I would love for you to remember. Storytelling and nation-building. Storytelling and nation-building. This is the critical framework, the glasses that are supposed to be on your eyes as you peer into the scriptures. This is the way to view all of the commandments, all of the laws, all of the stipulations, and even this segment, what we call the Ten Commandments, which, again, we can argue and debate about. Storytelling and nation-building. And what is happening here is that God has been telling his love story all throughout Genesis, all throughout Exodus, through the liberation, the birthing narrative, and the idea that God is ultimately going to take his people out of Egypt. The idea that God is going to marry them, come into this beautiful covenantal relationship with them. This is the story that God is telling. I am not coming down from on high to tell you this is right and this is wrong. I'm coming down from on high to tell you that you are my precious bride. I love you, and I want to have a kind of relationship with you that is unique throughout the entire history of humanity. These are not just moral dictates. These are vows. Standing together at the altar, which you could possibly call Mount Sinai, where the priest goes up upon the mountain, comes down with the sayings. And remember, we talked about last week, the words of the covenant. And words of the covenant could be this uh, colloquial to mean the words of the vows that we are going to take to one another, to love one another, to come into this relationship with one another. And that's what these are. Because it begins with, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. That is the beginning of what we call the Ten Commandments. This is a little bit of a side note, but something that I thought might be helpful for some of us. 
I think it's really, really hard for us to think about the Ten Commandments in this way because, honestly, I think we're afraid of intimacy. This is a quote by Gary Shandling. Uh, My friends tell me that I have an intimacy problem, but they really don't know me. (laughs) I think we're afraid of intimacy. I think we're afraid of relationship. I think we're afraid of what it's going to ultimately mean to us and to this world to be that vulnerable to lay down your life before another person and even before God and say, this is all of me, all of who I am, to essentially lay naked before the Lord and say, okay, let's do this. It is far easier to read these lists as a dictate of what you should do or not do because then you can do them or then you cannot do them and then you know exactly where you stand. It's far more complicated to be in a relationship with somebody where there's a lot more gray, there's a lot more give and take, there's a lot more uh, intimacy, transparency, all of those things. So this is something that I think is uh, part of the psychology that is working and why we see the Ten Commandments in in this list. As I mentioned before, what is the story that is ultimately going to be told and ultimately being told about this list and about chapter 20 and all the things that we just read? And God spoke these things saying, these things, I am the Lord. And by the way, that letter formation, the Y-H-W-H is the Hebrew name of God. It is the title of God. It is a very personal name. I am the Lord your God that brought you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery, from the house of bondage. The entire narrative of the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots is based upon the story of God being a rescuer, God being a liberator. And there's two ways of really thinking about God in, the, in this sense. Um, oftentimes people look at God as a creator, and because he is the creator, that what he says goes, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But when you start to see God as a rescuer, and some beautiful images of rescue. Um, for those of you who have followed any unfortunate tragedies that happen, you know, floods and the different types of things, it's really heartening and moving to the soul and the spirit to see people risk their own lives to come down and to rescue people who are in danger, to put themselves at risk, to reach out and to say, I want to save you from this tragedy. I want to save you from death. I want to save you from harm. I want to save you from this. And this is the story. This is the narrative. This is the feeling. This is the sense that God is desperately trying to get across. Let us frame all of the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots in this. I have come to rescue you. And you could take this analogy to all sorts of wonderful places. Imagine, um, and I'm sure many of you have probably seen this, when a rescuer comes and saves you out of the water, there are now rules that you have to follow. Put this belt on. Hang on to this rope. Make sure that you shift your weight this way because we're going up, and if you don't do those things, there's a possibility that we're going to slip and slide, and I will lose you again. Now think about the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots in that framework. God has come down and rescued his people, saved his people from Egypt, brought them out, taken them as his own. And as a rescuer, he is now saying, put your hand here, shift your weight here, make sure that you hold on this way. Don't 
Hold on that way. Don't take a selfie as we're heading on up. Don't do these things. Because if you do these things, we might lose you again. Have you ever considered the commandments, the sayings, as a rescue plan? The other options, if they're just moral dictates, entitlement, hey, I followed all the commandments. I'm doing really good. I don't really care about this God as being a rescuer. I don't really care about that story. It doesn't affect me. So why should I even follow them? What does it really do? Okay, I'm going to tick off an angry God. Who cares? He's already angry at me. Those are the alternative stories. But this story says, don't do these things. Be careful to honor this. Be careful to remember this. Because we're on the rescue rope right now. And if we violate any of these things, if we miss out on obeying and listening and hearkening, we could lose this. We could lose this precious thing that we have done. This beautiful rescue. And by the way, you are going to be my representatives for how you are going to rescue the world. As a result of me rescuing you, you are going to be sent out into the world to rescue it. And if you violate these fundamental principles of rescue, these fundamental principles of safety, then those things aren't going to happen. All of that work, all of that salvation, all of that redemption, all of that hope, all of that loving kindness that God is desperately wanting to share and push into this world will be compromised. We will lose this again. So let's take a look. Let's go back. Let's think very clearly about the things that happen that violate the Ten Commandments. Hey, no stealing. I can't believe you did this thing. How dare you take a bolt cutter and, and violate my trailer in that particular way? Shame on you. You broke one of the Ten Commandments. Is this the attitude? If it's a list of moral dictates, that's the attitude. If this is within the lines of a story. My friend, whoever this is, who I don't know. Is this the story that you're writing? That stealing from others is how you are going to make your gain? And as you steal from us or as you steal from me or as you steal from somebody else, you compromise their ability to be the very kinds of people that God has called them to be into this world. I had to spend money on a new latch. I mean, this is a very minor example. I had to spend about 15 minutes with a screwdriver and a drill. I don't ever do that. This sermon is really horrible because I had to spend 15 minutes doing that. A lot of things were compromised as a result of this. That's the new framework. God has come down, rescued. And if we participate in this behavior, then the rescue plan is compromised. Sure, we could say, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Another story? Unfortunately, every one of us in this room have heard multiple stories of this happening, right? Violation of moral principles. Can't we trust? Can't, what is going on in this world? In this framework of rescue, we must also say, do you know what is ultimately sad too? Is that the plan that God had instituted 
of rescuing the people to whom these pastors have been entrusted, to whom these leaders have been entrusted, their rescue has now been compromised. Do you know people that come from churches or ministries where unfortunate things like this happen? And you hear, and it, I cannot tell you how much it breaks my heart to hear, I am never going back to church again. I am giving up on the spirituality. Forget this whole God thing if that's the way it is. That's the bigger story. It's not just about how somebody might have made a moral mishap, although that may be true. Let's talk about this bigger picture of rescue that God is doing. There are some real things in this world, things that people are very passionate about and probably should be passionate about. But if we compromise our integrity for how we witness against our neighbor, is it possible that the very rescue that we are trying to do in this world is ultimately compromised? What is this rescue plan that we're trying to be a part of? And if we don't honor this covenant that we are a part of, then ultimately that plan is going to be compromised. And then back to the levity piece. If this is a constant desire and will, coveting of thy neighbor's ox, coveting of thy neighbor's car, coveting of thy neighbor's iPhone, coveting of whatever, it's not just that you have to stop coveting so that you can gain more peace in your life. It is that God has rescued you to be his representative in this world, to be the kingdom of priests, to be a treasure, to be a holy people. And by coveting, you ultimately lose and compromise that which God is ultimately trying to do. In other words, all of these things that we're talking about is compromising ultimately the story. And what I hope we take away from this, and as we think about and read these passages, and it's going to be so hard because it clearly says, do not do these things. Do these things. Commandments, laws, stipulations. These are th- so you're like, well, it, the Bible says it. <laughs> well, okay. That's great. And I don't want to take anything away from that. I don't want to suggest that it's, you know, not accurate to say that God said it. But when you read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and Exodus 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, and you think about God, how he begins this covenant by, I have come down to rescue you. I am the one who took you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery. I have freed you. I have liberated you. I have given you that kind of love. When we then get to thou shalt and thou shalt not, instead of saying, because God said it, we say, let me tell you a story. Why do I obey these sayings? Why do I obey these commandments? Why do I do this? Let me tell you a story, my friend. I was stuck in slavery, in bondage, under oppression. That's where I was. And you know what God did? He freed me. He liberated me. Took me out. It was one of the most amazing, miraculous things that has ever happened in my life. And then he said this. He wasn't just content to say that I freed you. He says, now I want to form a covenant with you, like a marriage, like a relationship, to be so intimate with you so that we can experience the full joy of that intimacy. 
That's what God wants. That's what my Lord desires. That's what is hoped for in this world. That's the story. And so when he says, remember the Sabbath, there's no more argumentation about, well, did he really mean it? Or like, does that mean Sunday versus Saturday? (laughs) All of these, no, it's like, I cannot wait to support, uphold, to live out, to flesh out this commandment, this saying, because as I do, it reminds me of the rescue that God has given to me. That is a radically different way of thinking about this than just do this, don't do this. Here's what I'd like to do, just for a brief moment. I'd like for you to think about the list. I am the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't take my name in vain, which is a big one. Honor thy father and mother. Remember, guard the Sabbath. Don't kill, no adultery. Don't bear false witness. I want you to think about this list. And I'm going to play a song. Um, I would like for us to just think about this list on the backdrop of this song. It's very briefly. As a devotional reminder piece to the message. And I call you And you came to I pray that that is the story that we are now um, telling and sharing every time we get to these things called the Ten Commandments. And I hope that, again, the phraseology for you is not that God said it. If somebody ever asks you, why do you obey these things or why do you follow these things? I hope and I pray that the phraseology is, let me tell you a story. And one last note. For all of those incidences, for all those times and for all those moments when people do not follow 
do not obey, do not heed. Maybe the issue isn't that they're not following morality. Maybe the issue is they don't know what story they're living. And maybe part of the job of a church is to tell the story over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you what God did in our lives. And so when we see somebody in our community that has faltered in a particular way, we don't need to bash them over the head with the Bible. Don't you remember that the Ten Commandments said? Of course they know that the Ten Commandments says. Maybe we open up the story and say, let's read again. Where did we come from? Who is this God? And how did he rescue us? Let's remember the story. And as we do that, then hopefully the rescue that God has initiated out of Egypt will continue in and through all of us, individually and communally. Let's close with a prayer. Father God, we have so quickly forgotten the story in which we're living. So I pray that we would remember that you would help us work through and churn through all of the condemnatory ways in which we look at moral precepts and principles and remind ourselves once again that we have been rescued. And I pray that if there's anyone listening to this message that doesn't actually feel as if they've been rescued, Lord, rather than running them straight to the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, God, I pray that your spirit would begin that work of rescue in them, that you would begin freeing them, liberating them, and providing them a whole new sense of freedom in this world, out of bondage, out of slavery, so that we can become a beautiful treasure a kingdom of priests and a holy people. And I pray in your name. Amen.